Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to the Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Benjamin R. Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Hi, Adam. Ben. Are we playing a uh, uh, Marin Chicken? Yeah, it feels like we are. Uh, we could do cards. We could do Bible study. Uh, we could just talk shit about other Star Trek podcasts. I mean, we have lots of options. So many other podcasts out there trying to trying to step to this. Have you noticed? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we're we're the people's champions, but maybe not for long, Adam. What does the Bible say about enemies of <laughs> of the Federation or or the Enterprise? Maybe maybe we can do a Bible study about that. Man, I'd really have to page around in here. Are um, they are they scattered all around? Like, it's not it's not like there is a book of enemies within the show Bible. There's not really they don't really get into that. Oh, I got a uh, page on Star Trek weaponry. Maybe we can uh, dig into that. Yeah, why not? Why don't you teach me about weaponry? It's good to see you all in church. It's called the Bible. That's. The way God wants it. I don't know why, dude. All these questions? Is a little blind faith too much to ask? Today's lesson is from page 69. Nice. (laughs) Star Trek weaponry. So we've got phasers, Enterprise phasers, and photon torpedoes. So uh, I guess phasers is about hand phasers, the uh, the ones that the away team carries. I guess the hand phaser and the pistol phaser, huh? That's interesting. I don't think we've ever seen that. What about the? Uh, yeah. It what about even mention the, the dongle favor the <laughs> phaser? Yeah. Kefab is a is a super popular phaser. It's like the best phaser. Yeah, you can you can put that in the waistband of your pants and and uh, walk right through TSA with that thing. <laughs> They're never gonna know it's there. Yeah. The Enterprise phasers uh, are the ship's phasers, and uh, they have all the power of the Enterprise's matter antimatter engines behind them. They're quite capable of disintegrating another galaxy-class vessels. Or even a small moon, if necessary. Dang. Take that, Star Wars. <laughs> the one ship could blow up a small moon. That's no moon. It's too bad that the only glimpse of the weapons room that we saw was in that season one episode where Riker and Picard go to it when they think the ship's been stolen by the Binars. Oh, yeah, they go to the... Uh... <laughs> but you never see <laughs> the interior... To... It's like when uh, when they uh, when Gene Hackman is taking back over his ship and they go to the small arms locker. Yeah, yeah. I wish we got the interior there. That's just what great a... cheap filmmaking, though, to just show the exterior and have people <laughs> headcanon their way through that. Yeah. Oh, we'll just put a label on this room and and let let the imagination do the rest. Right. Let's see. The photon torpedoes are perhaps the single most powerful weapon available to the Enterprise. It's a tiny piece of antimatter held in a magnetic bottle. 
Wow. I didn't know that. Hmm. Built around a miniature warp engine and can be used to track and destroy an enemy vessel while either it and or the Enterprise are traveling at warp speeds. There's a single tube forward and one firing aft. Each tube contains ten fully activated torpedoes. You don't ever see the torpedo bay in the show, do you? They save that for the movie, right? Right. Hmm. Yeah, it's too bad. They're also uh, shooting people in those, too. That's an effective yeah. mode of transport, we've learned. <laughs> yeah, if you got to get a Spock off your ship or a half-Klingon babe on, <laughs> put him in a torpedo. Yeah. Well, Adam, uh, this has been Bible study. Peace be with you, Ben. And also with you. Why don't we do what we came here to do, Ben? Let's... Let's discuss the Season 5 cliffhanger. It's Season 5, Episode 26, Time Zero, Part 1. First duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth, scientific truth, or historical truth, or personal truth. Ben, what were your expectations for this cliffhanger, like when you were a youth watching the show for the first time? Because I think the show quite accidentally or intentionally built up the expectation that when you get to the end of a season, some crazy shit's going to (laughs) happen. Well, crazy is right, Adam. Uh, I don't know. I'm not able to put myself in the shoes of a contemporaneous Benjamin on this one. (laughs) I don't... I I mean, like, I really vividly remember my experience of of Best of Both Worlds. Yeah. I mean, I remember watching Time Zero Part 1, but I don't really remember having any feelings about it. And I feel like maybe that might be um, uh, our friends Dave and Graham of Stop Podcasting Yourself. I feel like talk about this a little bit. Like when you're a kid, there's like shows that you love, but basically all TV is pretty good to you. Like movies and TV are great. So you're like... you're not as critical of things as a kid. And I think that this is one of those ones where it seemed like perfectly acceptable Trek to me as a kid. But uh, <laughs> looking at it now, I can see lots of flaws. Yeah, this really feels like a socks for Christmas episode to me, <laughs> you know? Socks for Christmas part one? Yeah. It's all lefts. Mistitled. (laughs) Well, the entrepreneur is back at Earth again. And uh, this is a mission that they've been called for specifically, but it's a little unclear why. Like, Picard doesn't hint at why it's unusual that they would be called for this, but it it should seem unusual for him, right? The only reason you get called back to Earth should be conspiracy with the nubbins, <laughs> speaking at a at a Federation Academy graduation, right. or I guess archaeology. <laughs> right, and that's because the random Federation science guy is slow playing a big reveal. If I bring the Enterprise all the way home. As we continued our excavation, we found one other thing I haven't shown you yet. Fuck this guy a thousand times for what he does here. 
I, I hate it. I hate it so much. <laughs> it's like he does the uh, Price is Right thing where you're, like, you're excited to go up and play the, the pricing game and it's like a uh, chest of drawers are possible to win. And then there's like a year supply of rice a and then a brand new car. Right. It's crazy that he does it. I mean, it's like it is, I feel like walking tour guide level. <laughs> Uh, suspense building yeah and what they're doing is they're walking around an archaeological dig in san francisco and this guy is explaining that they dug into this nobody's been in here for 500 years and it's uh it's full of little artifacts there's like you know pocket watches and eyeglasses and things in there and uh there's like a there's like a gun (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they really don't observe firearm safety with that gun either. They're just all uh, waving it around. That uh, that gun is definitely rusted out, Adam. I, I I can't imagine after sitting in a in a cave. I mean, I'll tell I'll tell you a story. My uh, uh, when I was about fifteen or sixteen, my father decided to replace the furnace in our house with a gun. <laughs> <laughs> And he was uh he Go was, out back and shoot some of them logs, Ben. <laughs> he was uh he was like going through the ducting and like you know, I think I guess our house was old enough that something had to be changed about the ducting to accommodate the new furnace. And in the like air vents, in the air ducts in our house, he found two lock boxes. One was just full of cash and the other was full of like old coins and a diamond ring and a gun. Wow. Yeah. The way he revealed this to me was I was sitting downstairs probably <laughs> watching Star Trek and he just walked in with this crazy rusty revolver. Whoa. Yeah. It looks just like the revolver in this scene and I fucking shit myself. It's like the craziest like my dad is not a prankster. He's yeah. not a he's not a madcap kind of person. This was uh, neither like is basic... he a gun person, quote unquote. <laughs> no, this this was uh, one of the craziest things he's ever done. It was uh, in in retrospect very funny, but in the moment I was shocked and horrified. <laughs> Your dad is awesome. I can totally see him doing that. But I also have a question about like, did he get on the floor with you and dump out the box and show you all the shit, or was he like? This is for me to discuss with your mother sort of vibes about No, it. no, we got to go through it. I mean, it was great. It was uh wow. there was like there was basically like a source of $100 bills for me to like find projects to earn for a while in high school. Like I'd be like I'll mow the lawn and do uh and trim all the hedges if you'll give me one of those hundos. Jesus and- Christ, I was underpaid for my chores. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> but they were like but they were like so old that they didn't pass the pen test, so you oh. had to take them to a bank to get them uh changed into real money. Wow. They were like they, like there was nothing in these boxes that was from more recent than like 1948 or something. Were you did you ever attempt to find out who the previous owners were for the house? Like not that you would give the money back cuz that'd be stupid, but like <laughs> like to figure out like sort of its lineage? Yeah, I don't know if any of that research ever got done. I probably didn't care enough at the time. I'd be really fascinated to find that out now, but uh Are, do you feel comfortable declaring how much money it was? Was it like thousands of dollars? Uh I'm 
I'm going to guess it was probably like $5,000 or something like that. I mean, Oof. it wasn't like a life-changing amount of money. It was just a whole lot of money to find, you know? Was that also the ring that you proposed to your wife with? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if that ring ever... I don't know if that ring is... I mean, my parents maybe still have it or maybe they sold it. I know that they sold all the coins. They like went to one of those mm-hmm. weird retail stores where you're like, why is this here? And sold the sold the coins to one of those guys. They didn't go on that PBS show. <laughs> but all that is to say, I I totally believe that this uh, that this gun was not a was not in a fissile state when they when they pick it up in this episode. What did your dad do with the gun? I don't know. He might still have it, for all I know. Wow. Would you mind checking in on that? And like, maybe we make that the cliffhanger to the podcast. Like, Ooh, maybe yeah. maybe for part two, you can give us an update for the Marin Open. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> I'd say that there's as good a chance as any that the answer is not satisfying or interesting. <laughs> and Just like our case, show. If that's the case, we'll edit this out. But uh, if Great. it is, uh, you can... And if you're hearing this, chances are pretty good that there's an interesting payoff to this anecdote. <laughs> Or at least something that's interesting to me personally. (laughs) The episode we're talking about remains to be seen whether or not there is an interesting payoff to be had here. But a very interesting beginning, right? Right. So the the big reveal here, the scientist like whips whips the fabric away. And the other thing that they found in this cave is Data's head. You would think that Maddox would be down there just humping the shit out of that head, right? <laughs> like, any, Give me that head. Any, gotta get that head. Anytime there's a data part, you think he's got to be first on the scene, right? He's like, uh, he's like first on the organ donor list yeah. for data heads. Yeah. <laughs> if any data head should become available. <laughs> I think that this scene is a turkey, but it, it like this moment begins a tone that is really good. Like, there's a really good, creepy, whodunit mystery tone at the beginning of this episode. If you're not uh, laughing at the head, I think you're in from this yeah. point. right. There's a lot of finding Data's head, right? Like, they find they find Lore's head, they find Data's head. There's that terrible movie where they find uh, another Soong-type android head. I saw that head in real life. At the oh, yeah? at the Mopop in Seattle, their uh, their Star Trek display. Mm. It was in the floor. <laughs> cool. Yeah, didn't look any better in person. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, what is that about? Like, why? Why, if you're making the program Bones, is it possible to get a completely believable head? But if you're making the program Star Trek The Next Generation, the head is going to look like a styrofoam garbage head. It's really just an allocation of resources, Ben. I mean, if you have budget dollars dedicated towards a hyper-realistic Samuel Clemens costume, and, (laughs) and you have a choice to make between that and one of the main characters of your show, I don't know. I think you probably should throw it at Clemens, right? And his giant cigars. Spoiler alert. 
people don't care about that. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, they're like, there's a lot of research to be done and it's almost like a, it's almost like a crime procedural the way this episode proceeds at this point. Yeah. It's a little CSI Star Trek, isn't it? It totally is like, so they've got the head down in engineering. Jordy's like piping in with, <laughs> with little pieces of information he's finding. I have found out a few things. Data is, is, you know, talking Riker and, and the captain through the time paradox angle. At some future date, I will be transported back to 19th century Earth, where I will die. It has occurred. It will occur. I love that they put Data's head on one of those plastic stands that they use for ice cream cones. <laughs> like yeah. when you got to scoop out a bunch of them and, and stick them in the standee uh, while you're paying for them. Like that's right, where yeah, Data's you- head is. You can't do your wallet and hold yeah. a cone at the same yeah. time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, and yeah, like, like Data has kind of a, an interesting reaction to this. He's basically saying like, this is actually kind of great for me because I've, you know, while you can all rest assured that you're going to die, I've had to live my entire life not really knowing. And now I know. I'm gonna die. It feels like Data's playing both sides of the emotional coin a little bit. Riker's issue with Data is like, how can you be so dispassionately working on your head in an ice cream cone stand and not, (laughs) like, have any feelings about it? And Data's like, well, actually, it it gives me great relief to know that my life will come to an end because... You know, it's sort of a dreadful feeling knowing that I'm going to outlive all of my friends and then have to make new ones and then outlive them as well. But, like, that's that's an emotional outcome too, right? So it feels like he's picking and choosing which emotions to feel. I mean, we've talked a lot on this show about how Data's lack of emotion is maybe, like, the most overstated thing. Yeah. And, and that facade has begun to really crack in season five. I mean, we talked a couple episodes ago about Data doing doing a bit on Guinan. Um, but like he is they have given him a weird needle to thread in this episode because everybody is feeling very strong emotions and they kind of want him to walk around acting like it's just a total shocker that they are. And he's been around long enough to know that people feel strong feelings when people die, you know? Yeah. Like, he's he's been through this before. Yeah, and n- not only has he been through it before, the crew has been through it before. So for Riker to be so surprised that Data's not feeling things the same way that he is, I don't know, comes off as a little... as as strange. It's written in a in a way that makes you feel like, um, did this person watch any Star Trek before they wrote this? Yeah. Or did they just get like very general descriptions of the characters? It's either that or it's just writing to a new viewer sometimes, which is like that lowest common denominator uh, target, yeah. you know, yeah. which makes it so frustrating for people who've been here the whole time. Yeah. There are episodes that build off of everything we know about these characters, and then there are episodes that reset everything about these characters to, like, the most basic version of them. And the ones that build off of what we know about them are always more interesting and more rewarding. 
Yeah, and that's a thing that television, I think, has gotten right since this show was made. Like, there is far less of an expectation that a viewer... Has never seen yeah. a frame of this before. Yeah, and there's sort of an there's sort of an understanding between show creator and viewer that either you're in from the start or you're not going to get it and we're not going to like write to your level, which I think is great and rewarding. And it's part of what makes TV so great right now. So what do they, what do they find out in this head? Right. They They, find like, they they find find some some bacteria on it, right? Yeah. They find some like dino DNA (laughs) and, they find a a fossil of some weird creature that only exists on one planet, which is great. It's like uh, it's like when the bad guys use an explosive that's only sold in one very specific store or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah they're like uh, there's there's literally nowhere else this story can go than back to this planet, and so <laughs> they do. Yeah. So they're they're like. They uh they put the they put the ship in gear and they head off and as they're as they're heading there, Jordy and Data decide to go get get hammered and tend forward. <laughs> and they're talking through this and Data's like, No, like this is awesome. Like I've I've uh been confronted with my mortality and I find it to be a great comfort, despite what you might think. Uh this is great. And uh Data gets called o- called away and um What's weird about that is that, like, sure, there's comfort in it, but because no one can be sure when Data will die, only that he dies in the past, like, there's sort of a sort of Damocles held over him, like, right. from this point forward. And that's what Jordy is a, that's what Jordy and everyone else, I feel like, has a hard time with. It's not, it's less that Data will die, but it is, it is more that he will die at any time, and even right. now. It's less it's less that data has to pay his taxes it's that unlike everybody else data's taxes could be you any day. <laughs> right. At least we have the comfort of knowing that it's not until April 18th. Mark your calendars folks. So they pull up to the planet and they uh and they scan it for life forms. Yeah. They scan it and data's going life forms. You precious little life forms. I'm sorry, Ben, I lost you again. I, oh, <laughs> the transmission dropout? Yeah, yeah. Planet's totally desolate. There's nothing there except for this little spot, this little blip that's throwing off some space-time signatures. Oh, well, we should talk about the little interaction with Guinan before we, before we hit that, right? Because she walks up to Jordy in 10 forward, and she's like, What's going on? <laughs> Why were we at Earth? And Jordy's like, oh, we found Data's head. And she's like, oh, it's on. Full circle. Yeah, she seems to know something significant about this. Yeah. For all the problems I have with the way the characters are dealing with this scenario, I think that the tone so far is cool. And I really like this push in on Guinan. Like this, this like, I, I, I'm a creature that lives to some extent out of time and this like reminds me of something in that weird out of time way like that's so fun you know yeah and i think i think your point also means that like 
it's sort of setting a pretty high bar, right? The tone is cool. The setup is cool. Things are building into something that we hope is very interesting and fun. Mm-hmm. So they beam down to this spot, and it's like your classic Star Trek styrofoam cave, which is weird because they've already had one cave in this episode, and it didn't look styrofoam, but yeah. this one does. So they're they're like scanning around this cave, and they're like, well, there's like there's nothing here, and Troy's like, not so fast. I think there, in fact, is something here, and I can sense it. And Data has been has been kept off this mission because they're basically like, there is no, uh, there's no precaution too small that we can take to keeping Data from dying 500 years ago, and. Uh, and he's like scanning for them and he's like, hey, like, listen, I could actually, there's like a, there's a chip in my head. The deal is there's life forms down there, but they're slightly out of phase with our time continuum. And I could uh, use this chip in my head to phase out and see what's going on. But you didn't send me down there. So I guess you're SOL. Sorry, guys. And then uh, that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Data's like, if I can just combine the chip in my head with this Bop It game, <laughs> I, I'll be able to slowly dial in uh, my phase in line with everything else down there. And it's a cool premise tied to a scary premise because just moments ago, Troy is freaking out because she's she's sort of like a retriever pointing at dead bodies. She's like, there are actually tons of dead people here and they're right. human. These people are terrified yeah. of something. Yeah. And um and so Picard like classic Picard rolls his eyes is like, "All right, Data. You can go down to the goddamn styrofoam cave. Uh just be really careful, okay?" And um he fits him with some water wings and uh, <laughs> and like a styrofoam helmet. My mom says the tags you gave me weren't enough. Yeah. They uh, they they duct tape a, a pillow under his butt in yeah. case he slips and falls. Yeah, and that, that um, pillow would be better served uh, duct taped to Marina Sirtis, <laughs> given yeah, her frequent butt related injuries. <laughs> um, yeah, they uh, they get him down there. They plug him into the boppet, and he like phases out, and it's kind of. It's kind of like a cloaking thing where he kind of slowly disappears and he's, I guess, rigged it so that he can radio back to them, but they can't talk to him. And uh, he's like describing what he sees and he's saying like, oh, there's some weird aliens and there's a snake and the aliens have holes in their heads. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a weird deal down here in this other time period. It's... <laughs> I mean, they're sending a guy who wants to die into a place where they aren't sure that he isn't going to die in the process. <laughs> like, what do they think is going to happen? <laughs> it's, it's a fun scene because it's um, Data describing all all of this tense, weird stuff. Like, you get a lot out of the hearing him explain what it is and not seeing it. It is releasing what appear to be energy fragments. 
which are then ingested by the entities through the orifice. I bet he'd be a great story time person at, at like an elementary school. He's or very in like dis- an Ewok treehouse. Yeah, he's really descriptive. Like, I get the feeling that he would use voices and stuff. Obi-Wan Kenobi. For yeah. the characters, he would do the he would do the sound effects of the ad ads. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He he would skip the part of the text that says "turn to page four. <laughs> this page intentionally left blank. Yeah. So they lose touch with him, and the boppet blinks back into into normal time. The yeah. Bobbit's the only thing left. Yeah. And that, for all they know, he dead. Yeah. My love, is a peep of longing tail for that which longer nurseth the disease. Big time bummer, Adam. And Picard has got to feel like shit about this. Like, he lost him in a day. He finds out Data's going to die. He takes it upon himself to institute whatever life-saving measures he can to prevent Data's death. And all it took was like four hours yeah. before he, he got him killed. Bad feeling. Yeah. Well, Adam, this is the point at the episode where they might as well just be playing yakety sax for the soundtrack for the rest, <laughs> of, the, <laughs> for the rest of the time. Data wakes up in like immediate post gold rush san francisco slash backlot on a movie studio yeah it's real universal studios vibes yeah and like, like the first guy he runs into is is like the goddamn drunk drivers guy from back to the future like <laughs> yeah. totally hoboed out yeah oh He's great. man <laughs> This is this is what I would call Adam a very ambitious tone shift because they've gotten <laughs> a few things wrong so far, but a lot of it was going oh so right, you know. Yeah, they were doing Star Trek as a place, and let's do let's do a crime crime procedural in space. Let's uh, let's undiscovered country this bad boy. Let's do something really out there, really cool. And when Data starts wandering around. San Francisco brushing the fucking straw off his pants and interacting with drunk hobos. It's just like, what? What? Wait, wait, wait. It's real, like, genre whiplash, right? Yeah. It is, like, it is the stripper glitter metabolizing the ship shifting into Luoxana crap Yeah. of this episode. Yeah. Yeah, because the whiplash occurs because the the senior crew has witnessed a death that they had hoped to prevent. And what we get is like some real slapstick data playing poker and data winning at poker and <laughs> like data turning Oh, here's into... a racist character. Here's yeah. a here's a like dapper southern gentleman character. Data going full Doc Brown from Back to the Future. Like Yeah. It's uh right. it goes like it, every character idea and premise in the past thing is stolen from another thing and mostly Back to the Future. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's so shameless. It's just missing the manure. <laughs> 
The manure is the only thing that's missing, Ben. It's weird. Data has decided to announce to everybody that he's French. And this is another just like conveniently like Data. Data is a is like incapable of lying any other time it's ever come up. Now he's just lying, 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 you know? Yeah, it comes very easy to him. Uh, I wish we saw some of the poker scene, though. Yeah, like what the what the poker game was? Yeah. Yeah, it, it really just, like, smash cuts from him walking up to the table to him, like, walking out with a crazy hat and vest. <laughs> like, every other episode, we get 20 minutes of poker. <laughs> They get all of the uh, retrograde social mores of the poker experience, but none of the actual poker. Right. Right. <laughs> Just the flavor. Yeah. Uh, but but Data has made enough money off of this poker game with a bunch of bums in the back of a hotel to be a fabulously wealthy man. And uh, he starts whipping out Fliff and giving it to the bellboy at the hotel that he checks into like get me this stuff i'm an inventor i'm gonna make technology um there's a thing here that they don't even touch on which which back to the future does very well which is like the danger of of going back in time like data basically is the sports almanac incarnate (laughs) in the past he seems to have no regard for changing the timeline that he's in at all. He appears to be constructing some sort of machine whose whose intent is a mystery to us at this point. Like, right. what do you think his intentions are? I don't know. I mean... It's certainly not to lay low. Is it like, is he building a time travel device to get back to the 24th century? If it were that easy, wouldn't he be building time travel devices... When he was in the 24th century with yeah. actual, like, 24th century gear. Right. Fairly problematic, Ben. Picard is uh, is bumming out, and he thinks, maybe I'll, go, maybe I'll go get something to drink, take my mind off matters. And uh, he wanders down to 10 forward, and Guinan is in there, like, like, inventing cocktails. She's got, like, easily a dozen drinks out on the out on the desk and she's working on one that is like it's meant to evaporate the second it hits your tongue and it's like a very delicate balance because the species of the person drinking it might be different and therefore they would have a different like average body temperature i guess Um, yeah this is a really cool scene i mean this is like the difference between you know someone who cooks and someone who is a chef yeah like like a a chef is someone who comes up with their own recipes and and ways of cooking and right. Guinan is like a real cocktail person like she's inventing stuff yeah. I feel like and that's next level stuff that's stuff I couldn't even hope to do yeah she's like uh she's like inventing the sous vide <laughs> equivalent of cocktails or something yeah and this is there's some cool special effects with this like she she like sprinkles some stuff in and it, it like evaporates all at once, you know. She's using the drink she's making as a metaphor for this appeal that she's making to Picard, which is that she asks him, "Do you remember the first time we met?" And Picard's like, "Yeah, sure." And she's like, "I don't think you do, yeah, actually." You don't know shit, 
asshole. Yeah. Need I remind you that I exist out of time? <laughs> and so she's like, how much do you trust me? Do you trust me all the way? Do you trust me enough to accept some very opaque advice about- Do you trust me from one side of my hat to the other? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, I can't, she's like, I refuse to tell you more than this, but you need to go down on the next away mission because if you don't, you and I will never meet. And Picard's like, okay. <laughs> and then he just turns around and leaves. There's no questioning. <laughs> yeah. I love I love how much Picard trusts Skyrim. I do too. Like, I laugh about it in the moment, but Guinan's mysticism and that what she says is taken for truth every time is one of the most fun parts of this show. Yeah. I mean, I think that it is something like I'm really glad it's a part of her character and their relationship. I it it breaks my heart that that device has fallen into the hands of whoever wrote this and whoever wrote Star Trek Generations because yeah. it gets abused. Yeah, especially because everything was set up so nicely. Like it wouldn't take much to just continue great storytelling with her. Right. And instead the baton's taken and they just throw it into the bushes. Yeah. I am the cutest of all. You will assist us. I am the cutest of all. We cut back to California and Data's like making up some technology and he's like about to set a sandwich down on a newspaper when he spots a picture of Guinan in the newspaper announcing some kind of literary hang. And he's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, back in old timey San Francisco, you, you got your literary people together for a salon. You got some finger sandwiches and a... And a nice punch. Yeah. You just listen I mean, to people talk. This is no Paris, but we're going to try our darndest. Right. This is like the da- the rare data squint to commercial. Yeah. His his uh, his mouth is a little bit agape. Yeah. That's about and as much as you get from him in terms of Riker squints. And like as silly as this episode has gotten, we come back and the silliest shit in the fucking world is happening. They've got this absurd caricature of Mark Twain hanging around at the salon and he's having this big back and forth with Guinan and it's like a dumb person writing about two smart people talking. According to our best geologic estimate, the Earth is approximately 100 million years of age. Perhaps it is less, perhaps more. Perhaps a great deal more. Indeed. They bring back Jerry Harden for Samuel Clemens, which is great. I mean, this is not Jerry Harden's fault. I don't know, man. I think that the the performance is so so far over the top. Oh, no. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm not trying to ride for Jerry Harden's Samuel Clemens here, but this was not <laughs> this is not the weak part of the scene or the episode to me. I think this was this is equally weak. Now, if you'll permit me, I'll continue my character assassination unimpeded. Yeah, I don't want to be too cruel. I, I think that the text is where the problem arises from. Yeah. But it's not really an actor inhabiting 
a historical figure. It's an actor doing a caricature of a historical figure. Absolutely. Yeah. I refuse to like, I don't, I've never heard a recording of Mark Twain speaking, but I refuse to believe that anybody has ever spoken like this in history. Yeah. It's real, uh, village theater type stuff. Yeah. So I guess, uh, I guess, Guinan is here as some kind of literary figure, and so is Mark Twain. They're having some some big time hangs, talking science, and uh... Guinan is basically wearing football shoulder pads. <laughs> like she's looking like Legion of Doom in there. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, the local o- Oakland Raiders uh, uniform at the time. <laughs> to what degree of believability? Is it that someone who looks like Guinan would be invited and welcome in a activity like this at this moment in time? I don't know. I mean, like, I feel like the willingness of Hollywood to obscure the racism of the past may be at play. Yeah. I don't really know, like, I mean, Mark Twain... um, Maybe Mark Twain wasn't like that, and maybe San Francisco wasn't like that at this time. Like, San Francisco's been out ahead on uh, social issues for a long time. I don't know how far back that goes. I mean, because we know, like, like Mark Twain's casual racism, you know? Like, they don't, they don't mention any of that in his character building. Right. Yeah, I mean, like, Hollywood does this all the time. Yeah. They, uh... It's convenient. They make it seem for like it wasn't the worst ever to be black in the past. Yeah, and uh, that's a way that like white Hollywood helps contemporary white people feel okay about contemporary race relations. I feel like right. I mean, I guess in bringing all this up, my question is: Does she have to be in a writer's salon for Data to find her? And like, could she instead be dealing with the many challenges of being her in this moment in time and somehow underpin the story with a little bit more, you know, conflict or challenge or something? Yeah. Because because for right now, Data's time in the past has been nothing but a Disneyland ride. Yeah. Like, this he, is Frontierland. He, he walks into the salon and he's like, yo, I heard Whoopi is in here. I'm a... I'm a big fan, but I'm also a personal friend. Yeah. I got to see Whoopi. And the guy, the, the guy working the door is like, I'm sorry, we don't have you on your, on our list. What was your name again? And Data's like, Abe Froman, the sausage king (laughs) of Chicago. Data like does sort of a football spin move around him. (laughs) Yeah. Neon Dion Data. Yeah. And I guess just leaves him in the dust. Yeah, I mean, I think that like once, uh, once Data starts talking about spaceships around Guinan, she's like, "I gotta talk to this guy in private. Uh, you guys all clear out." Starship. What registry would that be? Of course, Mister Data. <laughs> we have so much to catch up. Excuses. Just how are you? And so she like grabs him, and they and they run out of of the house, and they're like out in the courtyard rapping about uh what's going on and data's like oh so you didn't get sent back from the 24th century you're just 
super duper old in the time that I know you. <laughs> I didn't get that. I, I'm sorry. I didn't understand how old you were. There seems to be a little bit of temporal lag with Guinan too, because initially she does not understand what Data's deal is. And then when they're outside on the patio talking, she asks Data if her dad sent him and that she alludes to not being done with her listening, like as sort of a callback to her race of listeners. Yeah. Uh, vibes like there's man in like 20 seconds, you get, you get just a tantalizing amount of a little bit more of her backstory here as, yeah. as she, as she sort of snaps too, like she suddenly understands that data is who he says he is. Yeah. She's like, what kind of thing are you? And he's like, Oh, I'm an Android. And she's like, dang weird. Yeah. But, uh, so, so it becomes clear that this is contemporary to 1800s, whatever Guinan. Yeah. And, um, data like misunderstood what he read in the paper. He thought that there were entrepreneur people, hanging around San Francisco looking for him. Didn't question why the bartender would be among them, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> she doesn't often go on away missions. Yeah. Especially the life-threatening kind. Mm -hmm. But uh, he explains his situation, and then they like um, they uh, catch some smoke wafting over, and they realize that uh, Samuel Clemens has been dropping some eaves. Eavesdropping is by no means a proper activity for a gentleman. Nonetheless, the deed is done. Yeah, he's just smoking blunts, hanging out on the veranda. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, you'll have to take that outside. <laughs> yeah, not a good moment, because this is exactly the sort of conversation that you do not want open for eavesdropping. Yeah, you don't want uh, somebody that's got Connecticut Yankees and King Arthur's courts running around in his mind catching wind of something like this yeah yeah this is gonna make his next book <laughs> and you're not gonna get anything yeah this is becoming a speech you're the captain sir you're entitled hmm. i'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows back in the styro cave the uh entrepreneur crew is getting ready to they they've like worked out a way to reproduce the special thing in data's head so that they can phase into the time uh, that he was in and they're getting ready. They're like setting up all the jumbo crayons and uh, Picard beams down and he's like, Guinan told me I've got to be here for this. So I'm taking your place, Worf, get back to the ship. Worf seems pretty pissed to be left out of this mission, but Worf hasn't been a going concern for many episodes now. <laughs> he's like take this one off Worf I mean I guess they have to get they gotta get rid of anybody with loaf before they go back to San Francisco yeah they absolutely the do the 1800s right yeah Data can pass for French but I don't think Worf could pass for anything I mean not not even a baker Adam yeah that's more loaf than even a baker would have yeah uh, so yeah, they, uh, they get Worf to clear out. I guess Worf goes back and takes command of the entrepreneur. Yeah. He's the most senior officer on board at that point. <laughs> this has got to be great for him. They're really throwing a lot of bodies at this mission. Yeah. So literally like Jordy Riker, Picard, Counselor Troy, 
and the doctor saddle up. Adjusting synchronic distortion, 0 0 0 0.002, 0 0.003, 0 0.004. And they like shift into this crazy alternate dimension where everything's blue and there's a bunch of like, like heroin addict aliens sitting around with with pulses of light going into their head holes. This was a and, legit creep show. Yeah, and it's like it's back to this tone where it's like, "Oh, I wish this was the episode." <laughs> yeah, it's like you can't just intercut Event Horizon with Back to the Future 3. <laughs> yeah. She's been to a place you couldn't possibly Where? Back to the future! But that's what they attempt to do here. Yeah. Jordy's on the Bapa and he's he's put them he's he's put them in the face with this thing and they're just sort of observing for themselves everything that Data described earlier. We got we got the weird glows of light going into these foreheads. We've got sort of a, a center husk that contains a lot of these these little things of light. And then uh and then from a portal, a couple of people with a box full of these these little uh, glow worms comes in and refills the thing in the middle. And yeah. one of these guys has got a snake cane. Yeah, and the and the snake is like is like a crazy little animatronic puppet. It's a little like the Remick monster. It's it's like some of the most inventive alien design and and like weird alternate phase of reality shit that Star Trek has done. It's so nuts that it's butted up against Mr. Toad's wild ride of episodes. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So, seeing this portal appear, and I guess only momentarily wondering whether or not to risk all of their lives at once to see if they can find data, they all hop through the portal. The portal (laughs) closes behind them, and then it's smashed to be continued. <laughs> Why'd they go in that thing? No one discusses it. <laughs> Picard goes in first, everyone follows, and then that's it. Like, if I'm Geordi, I think I think there's a beat where you're like, uh, maybe we should like throw a probe in there or something. <laughs> Guys, <laughs> we have procedures. This is not one of them. It's like they all observed Data's death wish and were like, they found them. They found his death wish so compelling. They were like, "His name was Robert Paulson." <laughs> yeah, give me some of that. Uh. Yeah. So Worf is back up on the ship. Like, can you imagine? Like, all of the life signs are gone. Worf is now captain of the Enterprise Field Commission. What do you if, think he does? Oh man, the Worf eyes on that Field Commission would be so amazing to see. That is what the smash to. That's that's what the smash cut to to be continued should have been. Back yeah. up in the command chair, Worf is sitting in it. Worf eyes to smash cut. That's what it should have been. <laughs> that would have been so good. <laughs> uh, we were deprived. It wouldn't have cost him a thing to shoot that. You know what? Someone out there could re-edit that, taking 
taking the scene of Worf in the command chair from the uh, the Trojan Man episode from yeah. earlier in the season, <laughs> we could perfect this episode, Cliffhanger. It would be a lot better. Did, Did you, you like, like it? this episode, Adam? No. <laughs> flatly. No, he said flatly. Um, I mean, like all cliffhangers, I think you... I think it's really hard to like the first half without seeing the second, yeah. especially when so much is uh, has yet to be revealed. But, I mean, this is this is a first half of Cliffhanger that is made up of some fun scenes and some real dogs. Yeah, it's like it's like they had a writing team of like Shakespeare and a drunk baby. Like half of it is amazing and half of it is so crazy. <laughs> I think we could probably discuss this when we do part two, but like, could this have been one episode if you just cut out all the fat? <laughs> I think, I think that's probably true. Yeah. I hmm. mean, and I think that like, there are lots of examples in season six and seven of ideas like this being collapsed into one episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hopefully part two redeems in some way part one (laughs) fingers crossed do you want to see if there are any uh p1s ready for our forehead hole yeah i gotta i gotta see what that husk has for my forehead hole adam yeah priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel need a supplemental income supplemental yeah it's extra but the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship Adam, we have a commercial message coming in on Priority One Subspace. Subspace. <laughs> you can't even lot. help slipping into Kevin, can you? I've had a lot of podcast fluid to get me through this episode, Adam. <laughs> uh, here is the message. Anxiously awaiting Greatest Gen Con 2017? Need another bucket list con to attend? Love D20s? Starfleet officers... Get down with all sorts of extracurriculars on the holodeck. Take some shore leave and come roleplay in Matamata, New Zealand. Who knows if I'm pronouncing that right? This October 13th through 15th at the Green Dragon Inn. Yes, the actual Hobbiton from Lord of the Ring movies. Shut Admission up! Admission includes a tour of the movie set, a gaming convention designed with families in mind. No Horgons needed. Find us on Facebook at PaizoCon Oz 2017. And that's P-A-I-Z-O Con Oz O-Z 2017. See you in the Shire. Uh, that is from Geek Cross Pollination PaizoCon Oz 2017. PaizoCon Oz 2017 at gmail.com. Holy shit, man. I have probably pronounced most of that incorrectly, Adam, but that is the message, and uh, that sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds amazing, actually. Ben, I gotta tell you, PaizoCon is making me forget all about Greatest Gen Con. Mm. <laughs> this sounds amazing. I want to live in the Shire. It sounds better. There's no way Greatest Gen Con is going to be as good as PaizoCon. Look, I'm just going to throw this out there, Ben. I'm going to throw it out there for the both of us. If mm-hmm. PaizoCon wants us to be at their con, I'll go. I'll go to this. I've never been to New Zealand. It sounds great. It does sound really good. 
I might not be able to make it because I have to move 3,000 miles from where I currently live around that time. And oh, no. I'm anticipating that being expensive. But uh, but we can talk for sure. I mean, well, well, I'm not, I'm not, I would never say that we would pay our own way to go to PaizoCon. I'm saying, if yeah, you're a, if you're a PaizoCon and you're in the Shire and you're and you're looking to maybe book a couple of great guests, yeah. guests with a great Star Trek podcast, that talk maybe to our has, agent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, give us a call. Look, we're taking every meeting at this yeah. point. Every not- meeting, <laughs> even the ones that haven't actually been offered to us. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you're interested in PaizoCon.com, uh, look them up. Yeah. Why don't we get on to the next Priority One message, Adam? Yeah, this one is a, is a personal message, Ben. It is from Jim, and it is to Ben and Adam. Oh, I know those guys. It goes like this. I've nearly caught up with your frenetic release pace and wanted to both support you and express how much I love your pod. Also, I share Adam's interpretation of violations. Hmm. The dark interpretation, I believe, is Oof. what we're calling that. Yeesh. He continues... I was, I, was, uh, I was pretty content to never be reminded of violations ever again. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> and I was totally okay with being walked off of my weird interpretation. So, <laughs> here we are, back again. Uh, Jim continues, You can count on my continued viewership... P.S. Nothing makes me laugh harder than each season's veto and inevitable immediate counter veto. Wait, that's See, not inevitable. Jim is a big fan of how we do vetoes, and I think that puts him in the minority. <laughs> we hear a lot of people complaining about it, and uh, I mean, it's been a coincidence up till now. I think Jim's really lucky. This is a season where we, well, I very badly misused my veto because I was expecting there to be more of a bad pun to uh, to warn me about yeah. the Lawaxana episode. Your veto was a one-car accident. The thing is, Adam, like, aside from the next episode, I don't know that there are a lot of episodes that I would veto going forward. Yeah, I can't think of any, but I know there's another bomb out there. I know... I know that there's one that people say is the worst episode, even worse than the one that we saw with the uh, Waxana Troy mud bath. Well, thank you for the support, Jim, and thanks for writing in. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad our Gmail rule auto-deleting any message that contains the word veto didn't didn't catch this one. <laughs> uh, well, if you would like to uh, e- email us for $100... <laughs> like Jim did, or send a commercial message, uh, like PaizoCon did, uh, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message or 200 for a commercial message. It really helps us make this show. Thank you. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before, and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. 
With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Whether it's hundreds of years into the past or <laughs> even just a moment ago, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did, Adam. Uh, Mark Twain is supposed to be one of the, like, the great geniuses of history. And he is depicted in this episode 
standing five feet away of two peop- from two people he's trying to eavesdrop on, smoking a ridiculously big cigar. Yeah. What an idiot. That is one massive cigar. It's like a cartoon bad guy cigar. <laughs> it really is. And it's like, uh, did you think that the people five feet away from you, uh, that you're trying to not tip off that you're listening in on their conversation, wouldn't notice all the smoke from that huge fucking cigar? Yeah. That's a Shimoda move, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Samuel Clemens' portrayal and his very character is Shimoda-worthy, that's for sure. Yeah. How about yourself? Did you have a Shimoda? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm going to give mine to Data, who chooses some interesting times to either conceal or betray his true identity throughout this episode. <laughs> like, like he's gotten rich. He's in the corner suite at the hotel, which is very nicely appointed. Yeah, he's on, he's on one like. of the Starwood preferred guest floors. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, he's, he's befriended a bellman, and, uh, and he's sending the bellman to go run errands for him. So he's giving him stacks of cash. Uh, bellman, bellman keeps showing him a piece of paper with a circle on it. You know, for kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and so, like, he's running these errands, and he's bringing him stuff, and one of the things he brings Data is an anvil. And and Data, Data being the smartest thing in the universe, <laughs> forgets to keep up the burlesque that he is a Frenchman. <laughs> Conveniently enough to do it for laughs. So he, pick up, he, he, pick, he picks up the anvil one-handed and walks it across the room before dropping it and complaining about his shoulder injury from, from the attempt. And then he brings the bellman over to his table workshop where he's constructed this device, this futuristic, like, static cling device with a bunch of, like, neon and switches and stuff he does a thing at this table that is so weird like he doesn't drape a blanket over what he's built instead he invites the bellman over and they have a conversation over it (laughs) and then he he looks down at the thing and he hits like a single switch as if that's the switch that's gonna give away what this thing's true intention is (laughs) it's the fucking weirdest thing like why is he messing around with this device? And what does that switch do? Why does he hit it when the bellman's there? <laughs> I know I like headcanon the hell out of that moment, but like to me, it seemed like another example of data with something to hide and being woefully unable to hide it when he chooses to. Yeah. Like, what the fuck, data? <laughs> Yeah, all of the rules about what Data's truth serum personality is like have gone out the window in this episode. It's an, it's that problem where we know people are smart and they're written stupid. Yeah. That's the problem here. Yeah, we know that Data's on sodium pentothal and he's written as though he's not. Yeah, yeah. What do we have coming up on the next episode, Ben? Are we Are we going to have a part two? The next episode on the series, Adam, is season six, episode one, Time Zero, part two. It's just Worf as captain of the Enterprise for a whole season. (laughs) Yeah. The entrepreneur crew travels between the 19th and 24th centuries in an attempt to prevent Data's death in 19th century San Francisco. Do you remember this episode, Adam? Yeah, I mean, in... (laughs) 
in as much as I remember this one. <laughs> like, what I'm hoping for is I'm preparing for disappointment and that it ends up surprising me and I end up liking it. Like, that's that's why I'm tempering my attitude against it down so far. Like, I want to be pleasantly surprised. I hope we get that. Mm. So, um, vetoes are newly available to us. We have vetoes, season six vetoes. Do you... Uh are you are you optimistic? Are you cautiously optimistic enough not to use your veto? I just sort of have a standing personal rule that uh, that I don't want to use a veto on a two part episode. Okay. Well, uh, didn't you try to use a veto on a two part episode at some point? Did I? I feel like you might have. Oh no! <laughs> well, I can change, man. <laughs> I can change, and you can change. <laughs> I've learned a lot while doing this show, Ben. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Oh, I'm not going to veto either, so uh, Time Zero Part 2, we shall watch next. Deal. Adam, our viewers uh, support us in many ways, big and small. They uh, leave iTunes reviews that uh, recommend our show and help us rise in the ranks on iTunes. They tell their friends, they go to MaximumFun.org and click on Donate and donate to our show. They buy the merch, the glass, the glassware, and the shirts. Oh, yeah, they go to that Max Fun store. That's good stuff, Adam. They enrobe themselves in our jokes. Yeah. And drink out of them, even. <laughs> um, so thanks to everybody that does that. And everybody that doesn't do that, uh, consider not being such a Freddy Freeloader. Uh, our thanks, as always, to the great Dark Materia for our theme and interstitial music, as well as Adam Ragusea for all the rest of our music, which has sort of turned into a lot. Yeah, uh, and uh, we should put people onto the hashtag GreatestGen, which is the way people talk about the show on Twitter. There are also Facebook and Reddit groups that you can get involved with. They're both real fun places to hang, crack-wise, and uh, talk with other people that uh, follow the program. We're on Instagram and Tinder. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we are uncut and uh, 420 friendly. <laughs> no drama. No drama. <laughs> and uh, with that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is Warfies into commercials every single time from here on out. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.